TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Welcome to the podcast. And now... You're listening to TalkLine with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. It's always a treat, always a privilege to have former ambassador to Israel. David M. Friedman, who served with distinction during the four years of the Trump administration. Mr. Ambassador, good to have you back here, and thank you for joining us. Thanks, Zev. Good to be with you. Thank you. So what is life like now that you're no longer ambassador? What, what's, what's going on? Well, um, I, uh, I'm busier than ever. I, uh, I wrote a book in the first uh, seven or eight weeks after I left office, which is uh, coming out in, uh, in February, HarperCollins. Has uh, the edgehammer how past brought peace to the Middle East um, coming out? As I said in February, February eighth is the release date. You can pre-order on Amazon. I am working on a documentary about the Abraham Accords, which we're almost done filming, which will be aired on uh, the TBN network probably in uh, in October or November. And uh, and I'm uh, and I have a job. I'm working uh, uh, in in partnership with uh, the former Secretary of the Treasury, Stephen Mnuchin, to help uh, help uh, uh, make money for our investors and uh, continue to grow the relationship between Israel and its neighbors. Now, Tur, by the way, you should get accolades for your four years of distinction of service and of also the Abraham Accords, which is a major major achievement. You know, the Abraham Accords was really the culmination of, of, of four years of work. And what it really did was to prove wrong the, you know, all the, uh, the diplomatic elites that said that the only way to make peace was to, um, was to apologize, if you will, for the U.S. relationship with Israel, you know, to moderate it, to be balanced, to, uh, to you know, to give appropriate uh, credence to the Palestinians, even when they acted in ways in which they didn't deserve it. You know, that was the conventional wisdom. We, we thought that uh, we should call the balls and strikes, uh, you know, uh, honestly. We, we felt that uh, Israel was a critical ally of the states. Uh, it was very much America's interest as an Israel's interest for us to strengthen that relationship. Uh, and you, you obviously, you know, what we did with Jerusalem and the Golan Heights and uh, in our, in our uh, proposal for a peace plan. And with all that, uh, you know, the uh, expectation was that there would be an explosion of violence. And, of course, the Abraham Accords proved just the opposite. There was an explosion of peace because we made Israel an extraordinarily attractive peace partner for the nations in the region who all wanted to join that circle of trust with the United States. So, yeah, we're very proud of the Abraham Accords, and we view it as part of a, of a continuum of standing with Israel, which we, we began when, uh, you know, back in uh, January of 2017. Are you disappointed with the way things are going now because you took away money from UNRWA, which was which is a terrorist organization? Uh, you see money going back to the Palestinian Authority, Iran deal. looks like it's almost going to go back on the table. So are you disappointed that all the things that you were able to accomplish, some of it is being rewound by the new administration? Look, I, uh, I mean, certainly it's not the way we would have handled things um, where, uh, you know, we think UNRWA is, is not a solution. UNRWA is a problem. It's a corrupt organization. It perpetuates a, a myth of, uh, of uh, millions of, of refugees that would not fit that definition in, under any other, uh, you know, generally accepted definition of refugee. 
Um, we don't think the Palestinians should get money when they're paying uh, terrorists to, uh, uh, to to kill uh, you know to kill Israelis and and often by the way uh, paying terrorists to kill uh, Jewish Americans because there are so many uh, Americans living in Israel that unfortunately have been victimized in terrorist attacks. Um, so not, look, it's not it, it, you know we we think that it's a waste of money. It sends the wrong message to the Palestinians that they can get, if you will, without having to give, that they can receive funding without making any effort to alter their malign behavior. You know, we, we had a policy of accountability. You know, uh, we're happy to help you. We're happy to provide humanitarian aid. We're happy to help you to bring your people to a better place. But you have to join the human race. You have to, uh, you have to stop uh, paying terrorists. You have to stop uh, inciting violence. Um, so uh, I think the policy is wrong. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I am confident that throwing money at the Palestinians is just about the worst way uh, to uh, to bring the nation to bring the region closer to peace. Um, and, and look, I think it's a lesson that you know we've learned in the past, and we'll learn again. And it's a disappointment, but um, but Israel, I think, will Israel will prevail over these uh, these bad policies. Now, by the way, UNRWA which is I'm on a forgive me I'm on a pet peeve against them because their every United Nations agency is meant to reduce the amount of revenues after every conflict one exception the Palestinians where the, it increases every year you have UNRWA which helps perpetuate this this whole status. And during the 1967 war, they fought against Israel. They helped Hamas ferry terrorist weapons and terrorists itself. This has been proven. So the fact that they exist, I think, is wrong. And I was glad to see that on, with you and the Trump administration that they defunded it because this group shouldn't really be in business at all, period. Uh, no, you're, you're 100% right. It, it shouldn't be in business. It, uh, uh, you know, even the uh, Europeans now are starting to realize that the UNRWA textbooks are. Uh, are simply, uh, you know, they're, they're books where they, you know, they, they, they teach math by, uh, by examples of, you know, if you kill uh, three Israelis and then kill another two Israelis, you know, how many Israelis have you killed? I mean, that's, that's literally uh, in, in their textbooks. So, so no, it's, it's, it's an embarrassment. Uh, I think people are starting to realize that you would have thought that the United States would be ahead of the curve. Um, we're actually, I think we're actually behind Europe right now in terms of uh, our, uh, our views on UNRWA. Um, uh, they're 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 misguided, uh, completely wrong. Now, I know that you have a wonderful relationship with Donald Trump. You worked him prior to the he became president. When he became president, you became ambassador. How did was it a tough process to convince him to move the embassy to Jerusalem? Because he had a lot of pressure not to move the embassy. Uh, it, it wasn't so hard. He uh, he wanted to do it from from the day we got started. Look, I, you know... Um, well, there's a story that you were you were buying land in Israel, and he says, why are you buying land that you can buy cheaper elsewhere, right? That that was, you know, that was like in 2004 or five. I mean, that was a long time ago when I was buying an apartment uh, for myself and we were sitting in a conference room, and he, and he asked me, you know, why are you spending so much money on Jerusalem? Why don't you go to East Hampton or something like that? And I explained to him how precious Jerusalem was to me and to my family. But, you know, um, but, you know, when I when I took the job, you know, we, we talked about what we hoped to accomplish and uh, moving the embassy to Jerusalem was was really at the top of our collective list. We obviously uh, uh, wanted to get buy in from uh, from the entirety of the uh, the president's cabinet. So it took us, I think uh, we, we, we recognized Jerusalem in December of 2017, it took about about uh, 11 months to uh, to get that decision made. There was a lot of opposition inside of the government from the security establishment 
the foreign policy establishment. We had a we had a you know we had a lot of wood to chop to get that done. But uh, the president was never an obstacle. The president was really was really with me all the way. But there were people in the administration who opposed it and who vo- oh, sure. oh, and sure. voiced their opinion yeah, look, to the president. Well, look, uh, you know, this was our first year in office. We had a secretary of state who was uh, against it. We had a secretary of defense who was against it. We had a national security advisor who was largely against it. So, um, you know, uh, you're going to give these are important people. These are serious people. You're going to give them an audience. You're going to give them an opportunity to make their case. And so, you know, it, t- it was a process that took about 11 months. But um, but, uh, you know, the, the voices in favor of, of the move, which were you know, primarily um, the vice president, uh, myself and Nikki Haley. We had, of course, support from Jared Kushner and Jason Greenblatt also. But, you know, in the room, it was primarily uh, Vice President Pence and Nikki Haley and me. And uh, I think our case was, well, obviously our case was persuasive because the president agreed. Now, the president and the prime minister had a wonderful relationship during the four years that he was in office. But I've been hearing or reading reports now that the president was disappointed that Bibi recognized the Biden administration when it did. Yeah, look, I I, I think um, I think it was uh you know, we were we were in a at a at a time which was extremely um, extremely sensitive at a time when the president was still um, of the view that I think he, I guess he remains of the view that the elections weren't fair, and um, I think he would have preferred that uh, the prime minister um, uh, hold his powder a little bit longer. Um, my view is that um, when you know when the United States recognizes. A, a new president, uh, the state of Israel really has no choice but to congratulate the president. That's how democracies work, and that the relationship between Israel and the United States is more important than any particular individual. And and you know whatever the whatever the reaction may have been at the time, it's 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 long gone and uh, long disappeared. Are you still in touch with the president? I am. Um, not 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 as often as I'd like. Um, I think I was with him. I was with him about. About five weeks ago, um, as part of a documentary that I'm filming, I went down to Mar-a-Lago and, uh, and, and had the benefit of uh, spending about an hour with him uh, on tape discussing the Abraham Accords, and then we spent some time off camera uh, just reminiscing a little bit. Now, I think that it was reported that you didn't expect that he was going to win the presidency when he did. Were you, were you surprised that he didn't win it uh, this time around? Well, the first time around, you know, I just, uh, you know, it wasn't like I, I was I wasn't really all that educated in, in the probabilities. I just looked at the, um, you know, if you remember in December, in, in November of 2016, the New York Times had like a meter that they put out every day, which showed the probability of, uh, you know, Hillary versus uh, Trump. And, you know, even on the even on Election Day that morning, it was like 95 percent probability of, of Hillary. So, you know, I was just kind of going with the conventional wisdom. Obviously, I hope the president won, and obviously I was elated when, when he did. Uh, four years later, um, yeah, I did think he was going to win. I thought that um, he was the stronger candidate, and I thought that he had um, done enough, more than enough, in his four years, You know, not just with regard to Israel, but with regard to the economy, with regard to national security, with regard to the border, with regard to unemployment. I thought he had done enough to, um, to justify... Uh, being returned to office. So I, I, I did think he would win. I was disappointed that he didn't. What was your biggest challenge in your four years as an ambassador? Well, look, the, the, the challenge was always that 
you know, I took the job. I was I was not a diplomat. Uh, uh, I, I had to become a diplomat, but I was never a diplomat in the classical sense. And so um, I came into office with you know with an agenda. Uh, I wanted to strengthen the U.S.-Israel relationship. I wanted to do so with her in Jerusalem, the Golan, um, Judea and Samaria. I wanted to um, hold the Palestinians accountable for bad behavior. I wanted to expand Israel's relationships in the Gulf uh, and the, the, the Abrahamic coordinations as they developed. And I wanted to do it uh, quickly and, um, and in a manner that was, um, uh, you know, that was decisive and unapologetic. Now, you know, I was a member of the State Department, and the State Department is a very large bureaucratic organization. And um, I, I was certainly, you know, my views were certainly not endorsed inside the State Department. So when Tillerson was the Secretary of State, it was, it was really challenging because uh, he wasn't uh, of my view either. When Mike Pompeo came in, Mike and I uh, are very dear friends, and we were of one mind, and, and, and things changed dramatically then. But, you know, the first couple of years of, of, uh, of being in office, you know, I had to contend with a State Department that had, you know, a lot of, a lot of baggage, a lot of kind of uh, wooden um, uh, inside the box, if you will, uh, views, traditional views, views that had never borne fruit in past administrations, but they still clung to these views. And so getting through that was, was a challenge. Now, the, the, way, the way I did get through it was because I had the support of the president. I mean, the only way, if you work in the State Department, the only way you can, um, you can prevail in a conflict with the State Department is if you have the support of the president. The president's the only human being on earth who outranks the State Department. So uh, my relationship with the president was a godsend in order to uh, you know, move forward with the policies that we wanted to advance. But it's almost like a different you know, agency, the State Department. It seems like they sometimes do their own thing, independent of the president or his people. It's like a state within a state almost. Yeah, look, there, there, yeah, there is a deep state. There, there are people that have worked there for for many, many years, and they see politicians come and go. You know, they uh, and they and they 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 are of the view that that they know better because this is their career, this is their profession, this is what they know best, uh, and and they they will wait you out or um, or kind of uh, you know they'll never they'll never say no to uh, you know they'll never uh, say no if they're subordinate to to. Uh, the decision maker, but they can wait things out. They can uh, run out the clock, so to speak, on on an administration, and and it's a challenge. And um, and it's been the case for you know for um, uh, for for more than a hundred years. I mean, there there have been books written by people that came long, long, long before I did that uh, you know spoke of the challenges they faced in the State Department. It's not that the State Department is a you know is a is an evil place or a uh, or a uh, you know a place that acts contrary to what they consider to be the best interests of America, they're they're they're, they're good people, but they are entrenched in yeah, a very large democracy. Uh, absolutely. Now, when you dealt with the Palestinians, was there a public and a private side? Because publicly, they didn't want you to be part of some of the negotiations. What was it like behind the scenes? Look, we had back channels with the uh, with the Palestinians uh, uh, almost almost at all times. Um, um, they um, and, and 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 in addition, Israel has uh, uh, extremely good contacts uh, with the Palestinians, and we would share with Israel our views; they would share with us their views. So we always knew where the Palestinians were. Um, the, the problem with the Palestinians is not um, uh, 
whether they're willing to talk or not willing to talk or what's you know behind the scenes or in front of the scenes. The problem with the Palestinians is that notwithstanding um, billions and billions and billions of dollars of aid, uh, notwithstanding uh, being indulged by the entire world and by the United Nations, they haven't succeeded in creating the building blocks for for real independence. They are um, they don't have a system of justice. They don't have freedoms of uh, speech or the press. They they um, uh, you know they, they don't respect human rights. They they they're not willing to live uh, side by side with with the Jewish people. And uh, the, the, these are these are um, foundational failings that that they have, and is primarily a function of of a very insular and corrupt leadership in the PA, and obviously a uh, a, a Muslim radical Muslim extremist terrorist leadership uh, in Hamas. No, no question about that. And uh, but but I think they were forced to deal with you publicly, weren't they? Because originally they didn't want you to be part of it, and I believe the president wanted you to be part of the negotiation, so they had to at least deal with you for a certain period of time. They they would they reluctantly met with me. Uh, they they uh, the view was that I had uh, I had no portfolio with them because my relationship my my portfolio was with Israel, and if uh, and if I would to were to meet with them, it would somehow suggest that 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 Israel had some some hegemony over them. So they but ultimately they did meet with me. We met from time to time early on. Once we recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, uh, all kind of public diplomatic discussions, at least with me, uh, came to an end. We had back channels, but we didn't do anything. We never met again publicly. You want to give this right one of the most fifty influential Jews around the world, so which I think is which is which is so great. Now you're watching what's going on today. We're seeing anti-Semitism growing by leaps and bounds in America. We're finding anti-Israel bias. I think we're seeing a resurgence in Iran because they're going to be getting soon. I believe the deal is going to go back into shape. The JPAC deal is going to continue. America wants to do it so much. You've dealt with the other outcome regarding Iran. I think that, isn't that the glue that holds together some of the countries, the Arab countries? Look, look. A, a um, I mean, a common enemy is a is a well recognized uh, basis for people to to coalesce. But it's much more than that. You know, I was in um, I was in Abu Dhabi about three or four weeks ago in Bahrain. I met with the foreign ministers of both countries, and uh, they said something to me which I think is is, is very appropriate. They said, um, "We're all fighting the same enemy. We're fighting the same any enemy in America, in uh, in the Gulf, in Israel, and elsewhere." We're all fighting um, extremism. We're fighting it. Now, the extremism can be, you know, take different forms. It can be anywhere from Al-Qaeda and ISIS to Hamas to Hezbollah to, um, you know, to extreme groups in the United States on, on the right and the left to, um, you know, to um, uh, the Iranians um, and their proxies. But they're all extremists. They all, they all you know, want to elevate, um, uh, they all want to elevate mayhem, murder, violence, you know, ideological purity over coexistence. And we're all fighting the same fight. And, um, and, and so, I, you know, I think that uh, it's all on the rise. The, you know, there's lots of different reasons. Um, somebody will write, you know, somebody will, will figure this all out one day. But it can range for, it ranges from, you know, people being stuck indoors for a year and a half to, uh, to, the, uh, to social media and the, in, and the Internet to uh, the recent um, uh, war in Gaza. I mean, you could, but at the end of the day, um, it's it still comes down to there there about about ten to fifteen percent of the world 
uh, in all these countries, including our own, uh, are, are violent, uh, dangerous extremists. And unfortunately, they take up about 80% of the oxygen in the room. They get most of the noise, and it becomes, um, it becomes unbearable, and actually, and it becomes dangerous. It becomes dangerous to Jewish people in the United States, and it becomes dangerous to, to, to people, th whoever is fighting extremism, they find it, uh, it becomes a, 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 a risk of life and death. Mr. Bass, you mentioned earlier that you're working on improving business ties to UAE and some of the other countries that are part of the Abraham Accords. Could you elaborate what's in the, in the works? Well, look, there's there, there's there's a huge amount of uh, exchange back and forth. It's um, there are chambers of commerce being formed. There are um, there are uh, investments going back and forth now in in healthcare. In, uh, in technology and in cyber defense and in intelligence cooperation, there is um, there is a massive amount of tourism. I mean, unfortunately, the last uh, the, uh, I think the UAE had a tough week or two now with COVID, so it's it's slowed down a little bit. Hopefully, that will re re restore itself very soon. But um, uh, you know, there's there's like five or six flights a day out of um, out of Tel Aviv. Sorry about that. Um, I think at one point there were like forty, fifty thousand people a month going from Israel to Dubai. Yeah, it was it was a it was a crazy um, number, a big big number. And you know, we were just there and we saw plenty. There's seven kosher restaurants in Dubai. I was able to open up the Chabad in Abu Dhabi. I was the uh, Baltfila for the first prayer in uh, in the Chabad in uh, Abu Dhabi. There's a uh, there's a commissary that's um, Created by, um, uh, you know, um, in the airport by the Emirates Air uh, hangar called Kosher Arabia. That's going to be maybe at least the second, maybe the first largest uh, purveyor of kosher airline food in the world. Um, look, um, in in in, uh, in the Emirates, the uh, I know that in Abu Dhabi, the government put out an, uh, a requirement that every hotel must offer uh, kosher food to its guests. I told this to the president. He, he found this uh, extremely amusing that I told him, I said, you know, I can, it's easier for me to get a kosher sandwich in Abu Dhabi than in Washington, D.C. There's and, only one uh, kosherette. That's amazing, right? It's amazing, yeah. And, and, and the president thought it was amazing, too. So, um, look, the, um, you know, you pointed out uh, Iran. Of course, uh, Iran is a, is a threat to... Uh, to, to the UAE, it's a threat to Saudi Arabia, it's a threat to Bahrain, it's a threat to Israel. And of course, having a common enemy is important. But right now, the relationship is growing in ways that are, 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 are way additive, incremental to the security issues. And it's true, and it should continue to grow, and I think there'll be a lot of business connection. A lot, a lot of Jews, not just in Israel, but around the world, want to go to Dubai, so that's only going to grow. Your book was going to be out soon. Uh, is it going to be made into a movie as well? No, the book. No, so the, the book is the book is the book. The book is my story, the story of my four years in office, and how we sort of the inside story about how we were able to uh, uh, achieve uh, so much in terms of strengthening the relationship between the U.S. and Israel. It gives a little bit of an insight into the challenges we face, the the challenges in the State Department. How the government works. Uh, some of the president, uh, some of the president's uh, courage in, uh, in in getting these things done. So, there, there. That's that's the book. The 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 movie is really a documentary. What I wanted to do 
was to um, was to really document the Abraham Accords from the perspective of the people who really were were part of it. So you know, before my concern was that before everybody scatters to the wind and goes and does something else, I want everyone who was involved to really speak. So I went down to to Florida. I interviewed uh, Jared Kushner. I went to Mar-a-Lago, interviewed the president. I went up to Washington, spoke with Mike Pompeo and Mike Pence and um, Yusuf Al-Taiba, who was the uh, Emirati uh, ambassador to uh, to the United States. We then went across to uh, to Israel and spoke with uh, you know with the prime minister and the defense minister and the foreign minister. We went to and then we went off to uh, to uh, to Abu Dhabi in Dubai and to uh, Bahrain in in, uh, in in Morocco. And so we're 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 just kind of trying to tell the story from the perspective of the people who are involved. And obviously, you know, add to it a lot of uh, perspectives from people on the street. We spoke to some of the new businesses that had formed. Uh, in light of the Abraham Accords, some of the kosher restaurants, um, you know, we, we, we try to give uh, people uh, a, a full understanding. It's going to be about a four or five hour uh, documentary. It, it'll air in uh, one hour segments. Uh, it should be out in the fall. Looking and, forward to uh, it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's an important addition to the to the history of the uh, uh, of, of our four years in office. People can pre-order the book. The name of the book and how can people find it? So the name of the book again is it's it's too soon to it's too soon to get it because it's not out yet but it's called it's called Sledgehammer Sledgehammer uh, how breaking with the past made peace in the Middle East it is on Amazon right now but it's on only for pre-order and if you go on pre-order you'll see it's not it's not available until February the 8th so by all means if people <laughs> would like to pre-order it they should but um but uh and and they are guaranteed the lowest price whenever it ships but but it's uh, it won't be out till February the eighth. So we have to have you back again before, and so we'll look forward with, to with pleasure. With pleasure. Book. And I want to thank you for your dedication, for your service, because what you did, major accomplishments, which people didn't think could happen, but it did under your watch and working together with the president and working with the team. So thank you for what you've done, and look forward to having you back. Thank you, Zev. It's been a pleasure. Look forward to coming back. Look forward, Ambassador David Friedman, one of the fifty most influential Jews in the world. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Talk line radio and TV with Zeb Brenner is just phenomenal. Everybody concerned about the Jewish community should listen and watch. He has the best guests. He asks the most interesting questions. He's always so well prepared. It's talk radio and television from a Jewish point of view at its very best. To advertise on the Talkline network and Talkline's email and social media blasts reaching over 70,000 people, please call 212-769-1925, extension 100. That's 212-769-1925, extension 100. Or email info at talklinenetwork.com. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Thanks for listening. For continuous Jewish programs, talklinenetwork.com or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms, or jewishpodcast.org. Thanks for listening to the talklinenetwork.com.